Hey folks, this is a little bit of a treat for you this week. This is our After Hours podcast that Shadad and I recorded after we did the Azekin stream last week. And, you know, we usually have these After Hours episodes as a bonus for patrons, but this week, early on in the week, the feed was looking a little light, so we thought we would give you a taste, and if you enjoy our After Hours podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash show and subscribe. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and envies. Hello, friends. It is the After Show, Watery Desho's After Hours podcast, the show after the show where we talk about whatever. Uh, that we are not covering anything going on in our lives, any media that we're experiencing, etc. Uh, as usual, I am the Subtle Doctor, and it is January the 7th, 2020, baby. Oh, um, what a year, man. Yeah, yeah. I, and I only say that half ironically, but never mind. <laughs> it's already going going to hell. Um. That lovely voice you've heard is the hardest working man in pod business, Shadon. Hello, Shadon. Good evening, everyone. We've just come off covering uh, the last two episodes, not the show, but of the ones we'll ever touch with a 10-foot barge pull of Kabukio Sherlock. So I know I mispronounced that. Don't give a toss. But that means I'm now feeling pretty smiles. I'm pretty happy, all told. Yeah, man. If I, I kind of feel exhausted by it, like just by talking about it. Um, yeah. Ooh, that was a emotional because I just was angry, so angry at that show, especially that 11th episode. But you're not here for us to rehash and relitigate that. You're here for us to talk about stuff that's in the title of this episode, including Grimgar of Fantasy and Ash. And mm. I realize right off the bat that the title is different on the Funimation release. Don't care. It's less cool. When this show first came out, it was called Grimgar of Fantasy and Ash, and that Everything's how... less cool on Funimation to begin with, anyway. <laughs> I mean, they're the ones who actually stream Kabuki Show Sherlock, so... Oh. The evidence is there, folks! I'm just presenting it as it comes across. Well, they call it Fantasy and Illusion, and that sort of might be a more literal translation, maybe. Um, or, I don't know if it's more... I, I, I understand... The kind of similarity of meaning between ashes and illusion, but I just like fantasy and ash way better. Um, are you familiar with the show at all, Shadon? I know of it only because I spied your tweet about it. Okay, okay, <laughs> that's that's the extent of my knowledge. Uh huh. So it's a genre piece. It is uh, fantasy, swords and sorcery stuff, but it's also an isekai. Oh. Yeah. Oh, how unfortunate. It's also <laughs> Well, let me t- let let me see if I can pique your interest because I'll be fair, like I I know that I know that Isekai has become like the poison chalice of anime as of late. <laughs> Un- unless you're the, the kind of person who's in, into that, in which case, well, hey, good for you. But like the actual like core idea of Isekai is in of itself like perfectly fine and indeed appealing for very obvious core reasons. It just so happens that, well, they seem to appeal because it allows people to act like swats. <laughs> but anyway. Okay, well, let me let me ask you. Maybe it's not easy. So 
is a core part of isekai to you the fact that the main character is the only transplant to the new world i can see like shows happening where there are more than there's more than one character but i think the vast majority of them at least i know of if i've not even if i've not seen them firsthand are one person only like you know it's it's a one person ticket you know there are no free rides to the other world so mm-hmm. to speak well in in grimgar everyone almost everyone bar a handful of characters uh at least that that i have met so far admittedly i'm not done with the show uh, I've seen the first bit of it, and I'm rewatching the first bit of it. Mm. But scores of characters, a huge population of them, are transplants from elsewhere. Wow. So that already is a key differentiator to most kind of modern isekai, where you have an a single otaku and nerd um, being plopped into fantasy land. Uh, and here's the reason I want to talk about the show, not necessarily to sell you on it, though if I do, that's um, a bonus, at least pique mm-hmm. your interest. Um, I just think that the second episode in particular of this sh- series um, is one of the most interesting, interesting because it's really bold uh, in its vision uh, episodes of anime that I've seen in a long time this Mm. is a confident ass show like you may not be into the idea of what it's doing but i feel like it has a really clear idea or or a strong vision of kind of how it wants to present itself and it's really unique i think um especially among fantasy and sort of isekai or isekai adjacent Mm. anime so the premise, Shadan, is that um, this group of kids, and they, they sort of present it, you know, it, it's not presented chronologically, but I will do the chronological rundown. This group of kids wakes up, kind of comes to uh, in, you know, sort of medieval type world, and they're just sort of like, uh, who am I? Who are you? What are we doing? And... You know, they kind of stumble into this shop where the shopkeeper's like, oh, good, it's another group of trainees. Um, Basically, what you're here to do is survive in this world and kill monsters and earn money and shit. Um, And one of the people is like, (laughs) it's almost like a video game. Oh, oh, it can't be true, can it? It can't be a video game. I don't see no UI. Where's my save points? And then, then that same person goes, wait a minute, what's a video game? And then the other per- another person's like, yeah, what are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. Ooh. And someone's like, I'll check my cell phone. What? Huh? What's a cell phone? What am I talking about? And they're sort of in real time kind of forgetting uh, their memory of their past life mm. or their kind of what it's like in the real world. So that's I... all sort of gone and quickly, uh, quickly goes away. And they very much are citizens of this world. But they know they've come from somewhere else. They realize that they are okay, not that's good. born that's there. Good. Yeah, they realize that they're sort of transplants. But yeah, but they I don't was... know from where. They have no memory. Like, and they they kind of keep that idea in their head. Like at one point, one of them tries alcohol, and they're like, "I guess I used to really like alcohol in my last life because 
I got the bright idea that I needed to drink it, and I happen to ah, like it. So it's more like old habits die hard, but the context is gone, so so to speak. I'm I'm glad for that because. God, I'm going to mention it again, even though it's like the second cast in the same evening where I've had to bring this fucking thing up. Hmm. Like, if there's one thing I learned when I watched S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero, amongst many, many other things, um, it's that it didn't do anything with the Isekai premise insofar as Naofumi's, like, origin in the, like, real world, so to speak, was completely and utterly irrelevant to the actual plot, other than he wanted to go home. But... His home was like something he introduced very briefly at the start, and then it was relevant all of them. Let me count on my hands. Oh, would you look at that? There's nothing. <laughs> so when you said then like that their memory side is praying, I was like, because that's the reason, like to me, like Isekai, like you need to have that knowledge, that experience come through in some way or another. Right, to, yeah. yeah. Otherwise, there's uh-huh. no point. Why have yeah. it be there at all? Right. But that's a, this show is not going for that, which is might be why it's better classified as a fantasy anime. Mm. You know, because it's not, I don't, it's not trying to, like, because there's no special one that everybody is from this other place called mm. 21st Century Earth or whatever. Well, so the, they the don't idea really you, need to bring yeah, that to bear. The idea you said, though, like that they at least have an idea that they did come from somewhere else, like the sense mm-hmm. of ennui, so to speak, that's yes. still really, really interesting to me. That's good enough, in my opinion. Yeah, well, so let me tell you about episode two, and then I'll tell you about some of the things that that I think will drag it down for you, because, again, I don't know if you're going to like the show. Heck, I don't know if I like the show all the way yet, but I just think it's so interesting in what it's doing, again, because of the choices that it makes. First of all, it looks beautiful. Like, if you Google Grimgar, Fantasy, and Ash, you'll get just these gorgeous, like, painterly backgrounds that kind of have that really nice unfinished look. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, uh, this is sort of a draft before it's polished up. Um, the backgrounds look gorgeous. The character art is pretty... Um, like, I like the designs, but the the art itself is some um, pretty kind of standard stuff, and it's nice. But the backgrounds are just phenomenal. Um, but here, okay, here's the second episode. It's all of, it's the first half of it. It's really kind of divided into tonally and action wise. So the, the first half is all about the group killing a goblin. Now the first, the first episode establishes that they are all, since they are not born hunters or killers or anything like that, they're all shit at this. Um, but they have to do this because their money is running out, and the only way to get money is to collect shit from monsters that you kill. And so As they spend, you do. Yep, uh-huh. They spend the whole time tracking down a single goblin. And killing a goblin in an MMO or kind of mobile game or whatever is like the most trite, easy shit. It's entry-level stuff, yeah. Ever. But... The way that they do the first, it takes them the whole first half of the episode, and they're bumbling about it. They can't sneak up on it. Uh, they surround it. It's fighting them off. Um, they stab it, uh, but it still lives. It is intense. Like, there's a clip of it on a, a Wave Motion Cannon article. If you Google Wave Motion Cannon Grimgar, Jared wrote about it, and I think he linked a clip of it. Um, because, like, it's really, really intense to just kill this one goblin. Like, it has a life. It's like a real creature that has a will to live mm. and gives a shit and does not want to die and wants to fight off these people. It is not trivial killing this one 
goblin and people get stabbed like it, people are puking because the act of murder is so disgust like it's it, it's intense people are crying this is definitely not an isekai that <laughs> no um it's like a really different thing and it, it, the um the gravity of it and everything is so well done and uh the tone of the scene is is really just great and and then they pick the necklace off of it and they're like all that for this a fucking tooth and a couple coin and it's like they went through all that like this is going to be their life um and it's like it hits you and so that's the first half and the second half they after the break everyone goes their own way to kind of use a little bit of the money they've earned to celebrate. And it's just a montage. There's no dialogue for a long time. There's no, like you just, you have the song and it cuts back and forth between the characters in town. And you kind of view little snippets of them doing things, either hanging out in small groups or by themselves. And you don't really need dialogue to kind of get a sense of these characters in these really kind of quiet moments. Mm. Um, and it's just this really different emotional tone, but it's very, very cool and very pleasant. And um, again, it feels like a really bold choice to do after that. And then at the end of the episode, they all meet up on the bridge and talk for a bit and that's it. And uh, it's just a great second episode, man. Really, really strong. Um, it's certainly very telling to me even as someone who's not seen it that they all go off and do their own thing mm -hmm, rather than mm -hmm. like socializing together to because then in some way I suppose they'd have to come to terms with it wouldn't they right yes exactly whereas and, you know I'm on my own I can put my you know head in the sand so to speak yeah and the person who actually made the killing blow is even not in an over the top way but they do point it out so I guess it's not really subtle but he's kind of affected by what he did. Although he's the kind of person that buries that shit pretty deep. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a really strong show uh, in terms of the directorial choices and the tone and um, what it's kind of going for, but strong also in some ways that you might find kind of negative. Um, if you are an anti-fan service person in any way, <laughs> um, that doesn't serve the story <laughs> there will Sorry. be parts of the show that annoy you because um, it enjoys uh, its female characters that are in the party um, it really really enjoys them and <laughs> wow. there's there's a lot of you know drink it in boys a, yeah a non insignificant amount of, of fan service with these girls um, and that's one aspect of it but the Dark Knight character, who's that's his his uh, the guild he joins. You have to. I'm not wearing guild. hockey pads. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You have to join a guild to be able to participate in this whole system. He's a Dark Knight, and I don't know. Maybe he'll change or whatever throughout the course of the show. But he's a real asshole, like to the detriment of the show. Like there's this whole scene in the first episode where he basically tells one of the mage ladies, he's like, you know, I really like your boobs. 
I respect people <laughs> that don't hide, the, you know, the fact that they have, you know, big breasts. And like she's super self conscious about it, and just like sounds like yeah. something like New Year's Eve, actually. Funnily enough, no, really, <laughs> that like, actually happened. <laughs> oh my god, that's that's a story that probably should be told at some point. Uh, um, no, that that remains that remains my little secret. <laughs> like you know, and then and, and he, she's like I said, very uncomfortable, uh, as you make sense. Um, and she says like, well, actually, I'm pretty fat. My clothes just hide it. I'm not really comfortable with my body. And uh, and he's like, are you one of those kind of girls that every other girl hates who says that she's not hot, but actually everybody knows is really hot? And like no one in the group is like standing up to go like, hey, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, wow. Why are we like having this long, drawn out, awkward conversation? And then like another one of the ladies uh who is uh, what class is she she's a hunter she like kind of comes to her defense but then she's like you know you're you're you know uh you're very soft you're not fat and then she starts like snuggling her and like the boys are clearly like getting aroused by it and it's just like this long scene i'm like what like man this is um they're really indulging in this so like this is the show's dark side right of of uh really kind of having strong ideas of what it wants to do because it it's it has some interesting ideas but it also has some ideas that like i could see really putting people off mm-hmm. um so it's a it's it's a fascinating show it's a fascinating show i'm i'm really enjoying going through it good good it's certainly got a lot of things that i like just want you to describe there that i would think offhand like they shouldn't be refreshing to hear in, like, you know, modern day, but, like, with the way that we get all these crappy isekais that come out that where the protagonist is just, like, you know, he's, like, written like a 90s action hero mm-hmm. without any actual, mm-hmm. like, you know, physical or mental attributes that justify that. Yeah. To see that, like, you know, they actually struggled to even kill the goblin, <laughs> not because they couldn't do it, but because they wouldn't do it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. That's refreshing, yeah. and it really shouldn't be, but... Well, good on them for doing that. And, and while there is a main character, sort of technically, mm-hmm. like it really does feel like um, a show about this group, this one party of adventurers um, as a whole. Uh, and like I said, there's you could technically be like, oh, the thief is the main, but um, if it feels like an ensemble sort of show. And I think that there's stuff, there's definitely stuff there that I think would intrigue you. Ultimately, ultimately, I don't know how it pays off or, or where it goes, but I'm really looking forward to finding out. Mm. Good stuff. All right. Let me talk about Superman, of all things, and also, by extension, the kind of media that I love and also where things can go wrong. And this actually appropriately ties into me bringing up S.H.I.E.L.D. Hero as well, believe it or not. Yeah, that's a kind of strange, like, you know, cocktail of things. But here's the thing, right? It's not really unfair for me to say that DC has had a rough time of it as of late, trying to imitate the Marvel formula of getting, like, you know, a multiverse going, you know, cinematic universe, and getting their heroes on screen. They've just not done a very good job of it, period. But I will give them a little bit of slack, because at least when it comes to one of the characters, no prizes for guessing who, they are really on an uphill bend here, and that's with Superman. Why do I say that? Because... A lot of modern superhero films tend to be like, here's a thing we have to fight physically. We have to overcome it. We have to beat it in a, in a contest of strength. 
and or by shrinking down and going inside its anus no <laughs> Uh, only only in only in the doujinshi that you shouldn't be reading <laughs> um god i that's sort of postcard by the way what the name of that you know i went to Thanos's anus and like expanded to giant size doujinshi would be called like you know lost lost in a purple man's world i don't know <laughs> oh my god right the anyway forbidden purple that, door. That, that, oh. <laughs> now that's an isekai right there <laughs> uh okay so the thing about Superman, though, is that, like, there is, at least in terms of his own canon, no one that he can't physically beat in a fight. He's, like, an unlimited... Like, he's an he's a alien with unlimited power. So, this is why I immediately don't care about any story featuring him that is about that, because he just needs to punch him a little harder. Oh, no. And he might say, well, Kryptonite, I'm like, well, so fucking what? That doesn't make it interesting that someone just literally waves around this green rock and suddenly he becomes, like, arthritic. Oh, no. That's not an interesting story to me. That's a get-out-of-jail-free clause there. But the idea, and this is why I also like One Punch Man so much, is that Superman is not written as a character or designed as a character to be about the big punchy, you know, throwdowns, but rather about him trying to live with limits on himself because he has so much power and can do so much and it can often be very tempted to do so, but won't because it's not within his good nature to do so. And to illustrate this, I'm now going to talk about the Justice League animated series from the mid-2000s, which, to my mind, with the possible exception of the Young Justice series that was made by Greg Wiseman of Gargoyles fame, and maybe at a push the Harley Quinn series that's currently airing that I've caught clips of, and is genuinely quite funny. Um, it is, to me, like, you know, the best interpretation of the Superman character that has ever existed, because... Apart from obviously indulging a little bit here and there in that, you know, Superman's got to punch this thing really hard to win the day. It instead serves as more of a character study on him because in the long plot line of the show, an alternate universe version of him kills Lex Luthor, who is president at the time. And events in the show then conspire to like almost leading up to a replication of those events that build up to that moment to the point where Superman believes that Flash is dead and indeed it was Flash's death and execution by Luthor, by shotgun no less, old yellow style, that caused him to kill <laughs> Luthor previously. In the alternate world, in his alternate version of himself, that is. And I'll never forget this line, because to me, it kind of, even when I watched this when I was much younger, crystallized into the kind of fiction that I love the most. He has Luthor at his mercy, he's basically got him by his neck, and he's about to, like, blow his head off of his heat vision. And he doesn't. He puts him down and he says this line and it's stuck with me ever since because it just felt so profound to me. I'm not the man who killed Lex Luthor. I really wish I was right now. But I'm not. And I will never forget that line and all of the various media that I've, that I've watched since then that kind of follows that principle because it's so true that, you know, for all that we can and cannot do physically we can still be tempted to doing awful things. Like, I've, throughout the course of, like, looking at my own mental health over the past two years or so, like, thinks to myself, there's so many times I've wanted to just literally yell at people, that I've wanted to throw things at them, that I've wanted to, like, you know, do awful, awful shit because I've been deeply frustrated, often, you know, with legitimate reasons. But I'm better than that. I can choose not to do that. I can choose, you know, there's nothing wrong with being frustrated or angry or annoyed, but I can then recognize in myself, hey, you know what? I don't have to follow through on this urge, this base instinct. 
I can be better than that. And that's what Superman as a character has always been about and is encapsulated so well in that moment that he has everything he could ever want in terms of ability and power, but he wants to live as a regular human being. He doesn't want to rule, he doesn't want to control, he doesn't want to command, he doesn't want to be the, a literal god to people. But that doesn't mean that he at the same time is like, you know, completely flawless and virtuous. He's, well, a man, just with the superpower thrown on the front. And this is why I in turn love stuff like Landed Lustrous and Beastars so much, because they are about similar ideas. That, hey, you know what? I might be tempted to do some awful things. I might be tempted to do some terrible stuff because I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm frustrated, I'm sad, you name it. But I don't have to. I can choose to be better than that. And that, like, to me, like, was that scene, and I watched it when I was much younger, was such a formative moment in the kind of media that I now today consume and appreciate the most. And that's why, ultimately, I don't care about, like, all of the DC stuff that's going mainstream in mainstream films, because they have no interest in doing that. They can make the films they want to make and have Superman be in them as the big punchy guy, because, well, there's no tension then. It just drains away immediately. Hell, it happened in Batman v Superman where I was like, does Batman have Kryptonite or not? Because if he doesn't, he loses. He gets turned into Bat, you know, Guano on the wall. Um, does he not have, does he have the Kryptonite? Well, Batman wins and that's it. There's no tension to any of this. I don't care. So I just thought I'd bring that up just to kind of set my stall out for like what I look for as a critic and what that moment was that really kind of got to me in terms of, hey, uh, I can relate to this. I might not have heat vision, I might not be able to fly, and I might be putting on more, a couple more pounds around the waist than old soups is, that's for sure. But, like him, I'm, you know, prone to negative feelings, but I can also be the master of them too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, is really good and makes a lot of sense for that character. Tell me, like, why this was a talking point on Twitter about a month ago. I feel like I, I've heard I, I a lot of people talk about. I must have missed that because, um, <laughs> like, people were saying, "Like, here's you fool, what a good Superman movie is," and I'm like, "Why are why are people a lot of people talking about this?" I have no idea. Uh, I've only brought up today because I literally wanted to just. I mean, this this has been on the back of me finishing Beastars, Stars, which did feature that kind of thing, and I thought I'd bring it back to the the origin point of that for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um. But if you want my expansion on the good Superman films, well, the Richard Donner ones, because they were both about that. The first of which showed that, hey, you know, Soups has to make a choice and, you know, not he's going to lose as a result of it because Lois dies in it. Then Emily undoes it by going back in time, but point still being stand that he gets taken down a peg. And in the second one, well, it's the Spider-Man 2 plot just, you know, done much earlier with a different character of great power, great responsibility. I want to live a normal life, but I can't because I, you know, da 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 You get the point. That's why those films are good. Everything else apart from those has been... Is uh, Satan in one of those films? You're actually thinking of Supergirl, believe it or not. Because the villain of that film was a black magician lady. And she summons a demon to attack Supergirl. Okay, because... God, I can't believe I know that. (laughs) I have like a vague memory of me when I was like, I don't know, maybe three, four years old. My father being like... I was like, who is that? I don't know. It's watching a Superman movie. My dad was. And he's like, it's the devil. <laughs> I don't know. It's like really wanted me to. Oh, he's referring to Gene Wilder's Lex Luthor. <laughs> That's the devil right Perhaps. there, folks. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, uh. 
God. Of Sea Duck? Well, now I'm just thinking of... <laughs> I'm just thinking of my favorite Muppets Tonight sketch uh, involving Jason Alexander as uh, Hercule Poirot. Uh, you know, the famous Belgian detective Poirot. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Muppets believe he's Hercules, though. They don't. They keep confusing him with Hercules. They're like, ah... Mr. Poirot, are you going to like use your super strength to shake the train for clues? And he's like, no, no, you're confusing me <laughs> with Hercules, an ancient Greek demigod. I am Belgian detective, Hercule Poirot. And then someone asked him, are you going to fly around the earth backwards to reverse time and see you did it? <laughs> and then he breaks into his Jason Alexander voice. And he's like, you're confusing me with Superman. <laughs> I myself had problems with logic in that part of the film. Like, it's a great sketch. I love it. Hmm. Uh, it's what I always think of when I think of the Richard Dunn Superman movies, even though I haven't seen them, is uh, is that sketch. Um, well, really quickly, I guess I'll just say that uh, I am uh, reading through uh, the Ghost in the Shell manga, mm-hmm. the the OG. Um, you know, I th- and this will be, I think. Oh yeah, because I haven't seen those Arise films, so never mind. I think, but I think the three like really universally beloved and important iterations of of Ghost in the Shell are, of course, the Mamoru Oshii film. I think that's probably mm-hmm. like the definitive version for a lot of people, mm-hmm. and the Kenji Kamiyama, um, standalone complex TV show. Uh, oh, so good. Yeah, Oshii's protege, uh, Kamiyama, definitely less. I think leaning into the philosophy and more focusing on the um, cybercrime and police procedural aspects of that source material. Hmm, um, yeah. But I am reading that source material, uh, the Masamune Shiro manga. And Shiro, like, I'm kind of interested to go through all of, of his work now because looking at his oeuvre, uh, he was responsible for like a ton of like sci-fi and cyberpunk material that got adapted into anime mm. uh, in the early '90s and I think also the late '80s, um, like Appleseed and Black Magic uh, and Gits. Uh, and the the comic is really good. I've I've read about four issues. I think there are ten. Um, and. You know, I I can see like it, of course like there are different sequences and stories that the film and TV adaptations lift wholesale, and so it's cool to see those. But what's really interesting to me are like the differences, uh, especially in tone uh, and art, um, because that Oshi movie, like it it's it looks like an Oshi movie. Oh, <laughs> you know what oh I mean? yeah, like, yeah. Uh, the 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 way that the city looks and everything. And of course the character designs like the major uh, Kusanagi. Yeah. And, I uh, actually saw you posted um, a tweet with, a, it's that scene of course of Toga and the major in the van discussing firearms mm-hmm. and the major's look is, I mean, obviously it's manga, but even still like the major's design is at least in terms of the face is certainly very different than mm-hmm. what it is in the actual um, Amaroshi film. It looks way more like something from like gunsmith cats or, yeah, big big hair. Yeah, specifically. Yeah, or like Dominion. Oh, he also wrote Dominion. Did Masamune Shiro? Said so. Those there's a couple different Dominion animes, 
or or there's a Dominion Tank Police anime, and then maybe AD Police Files is like a spinoff from it. At any rate, a lot of different creators and studios wanted to like turn his comics into anime. Um, but but yeah, like the way like you said, the the character designs, the way not just the designs though either, like the tone. Um, I, I know that the standalone complex episodes there was um. I, I, I don't want to give the wrong idea to someone who hasn't seen it to say that they're lighter because they're it's a pretty heavy, dense show. But like, there's like banter and shit, you know. You've got the tachikomas <laughs> Whereas, that makes the show lighter by yes, default. Yeah. Well, and like, hello, there's some, <laughs> there's some fun character banter at times. Um, but like in the uh, first Oshi film, like it's just straight up serious. Uh, always. But, like, the Masamune Shiro is, like, even, like, the major is, like, making, like, doofy, grinning anime faces sometimes. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, arched, like, the eyebrows are two arches and the giant toothy grin. Um, I can't recall the major smiling in a way that I would call... I know! A, like, a pleasant smile. Like, if she yeah. ever smiled in the actual, like, film, at the very least, I think it was one of those smiles that either preceded one or two things. Uh, her kicking the shit out of you... Or mm-hmm. her kicking the shit out of you. Yeah. It, yes, it, exactly. I don't, I don't um, recall it happening otherwise. <laughs> like, there's a there's this great scene at the end of an issue in which um, they have uh, tracked down um, a hacker who was, like, hacking into someone and going to use them to do some nefarious deed. And they tracked them to this uh, safe house and government people are involved and it's cover up and there was an exchange of, of cash and there's this huge briefcase full of cash. And one of them tries to bribe the section chief, Aramaki, you know, who Bato calls Ape Face. Um, and is like, here's a suitcase full of a uh, hundred grand. Like, please don't deport me to my home country. Like, they'll kill me. That's a, knowing like, by Nova Aramaki, that's a bad move. Uh huh. With the major, the next panel is the major, like, waggling her fingers over like it like like uh someone would do over like a dozen donuts and saying like don't mind if i do <laughs> like, and I'm like, that, yeah this? that is that this is, is definitely out nuts. of character well when i say out of character folks the work is its own thing of course and it is the original work as well it'd be stupid it'd be scar- but i'm saying just relative to the films like i would not imagine the major from the films or even the standalone complex series for that matter no doing that gesture she was much more cold i would say it, it she feels a lot more human in this book like there's there are more vices i guess she's more annoyed with her team um and yeah like it is um it's really really interesting to go through and look at these differences and it's also i think speaks well of this sort of milieu and world and uh, kind of like database of concepts that uh, were, if not created, then popularized by Misamune Shiro, that like these different creators adapted it into these works that are in one sense very different, but in another sense very much going for the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. I mean, we would then begin to talk in stuff like uh, William Gibson's uh, Neuromancer. Mm-hmm. And the thing about like all of these different works is that they obviously don't get the technology necessarily right relative to how it is these days. No one ever does. Um, Gibson, for example, like his opening line for Neuromancer is like, the sky was, was gray and black 
like the uh, the white noise of a dead television Static, channel, right? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which doesn't exist anymore in modern TVs. That's gone. So the opening line, like on a modern, like a millennial, say, would be completely lost on them. But that's not really the point, because the point, for example, with uh, Ghost in the Shell is what if, you know, we were able to go into a digital realm with our minds? Like, what does that mean for the human spirit and the human soul? Which is going to be an eternal concept that we'll have to continue asking even after it happens. Now, the specifics of how we do that and what the technology looks like are immaterial. They're the products of the time. But the idea itself is pretty timeless, which is why I like it totally. a lot. And, and I think that they use the plot beat I'm about to talk about in Standalone Complex. Like, it's just been a long time since I've seen it. Um, but after that scene I'm talking about with the briefcase, they, uh, it it turns out that the criminals were using like a, a garbage man to activate a lot of their remote hacking devices. Mm -hmm. Um, and they did this by basically putting in his brain, this like simulation of all these false memories. That's the actual film. mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Like, you know this whole thing about how his wife was going to divorce him and all this stuff. And it's like, well, he's just a single person. Yeah. Um, he's never been married. And, I and he's remember- like, how, how yeah. do I like get rid of this? This is just, and, and they're like, well, the technology doesn't really exist to safely do it. So you're just kind of fucked. And yeah. it made I me think of like what you, I'm sorry. I just real quickly, really quickly finish. It just made me think of like what you talk about a lot of times and what we've discussed on uh, talking about other anime that simulated experiences are like no less real um, to mm-hmm. people and no less affecting than what happens in sort of empirical reality. And that like, just that like Mob Psycho 100 season two, when Mob yeah, is like, you know, in, exactly in fake world for six months of time mm-hmm. in there. But it's like an hour later, like he's still aged mentally or, and I'm not I mean, quite the same is, thing yeah. necessarily, but what about in back in Gunbuster uh, with, was it Noriko? When she goes yep. on the ship and the time dilation causes her to skip. Like, you know, she's grown up in so much time because of that experience, like mentally and emotionally for signing out of father's death. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You and, mentioned that scene like made me think, I remember from the Oshi film, this amazing little insert shot that showed that they were really on the ball where... That guy is discussing, like, you know, oh, I'm going to go see my wife and my kid, and it's going to be great. And he shows a Polaroid, in of itself quite quaint, I suppose, actually, funnily enough, but anyway, mm. not the point, uh, to his co-worker who's in the same truck. But the truck, the guy's actually, like, not even looking. He's got his eyes was like, ah, oh, whatever. And if he'd have looked, he'd have known uh-huh. something was up, because the picture is just of the guy. There's no yep. family on there. It's the same one we see later. I love that little detail. Yeah, and and then the in the manga they they manage to like tr- oh, they try I guess to put like a um, kind of lighter comedic kind of end cap on it, but but they do still I think do a great job at um, communicating kind of the gravity of the idea. And an example Aramaki uses, which I thought was a really interesting analogy or parallel, he was like sort of looking at the situation that you and I have been talking about. And he was like, it's like how novels affect people. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like real things happen, but quantificationally, all that's happened is like, you've looked at some words on a page. 
I literally just spent my previous talking point discussing on a formative experience for me that is based on something that does not actually objectively exist. Uh-huh. It is a, a work yeah. of fiction. Yeah. There you go. And just so, just to think, it's this is what I love about this IP is getting getting you to kind of think about um, a lot of different things, but specifically like the nature of reality and how we really kind of limit ourselves a lot of times in the way we think about it and are, mm. are unfair to reality in some ways. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to add one thing to your point, by the way, which is just to talk briefly about uh, when I watched the uh, Laughing Man OAV, which was one of the first anime I ever bought, actually. This was yeah, when I, was I remember that. And even then, I recognized something that I found very telling about the show, which I think kind of works against it a little bit. So you've got Togusa and the Major, whom we've mentioned previously, and just for people who may potentially have never heard of Ghost in the Shell before, unlikely as that is, mm. uh, Togusa's got no cybernetic parts whatsoever. He's just a meat sack. Uh, whereas the Major is, of course, full cyborg, top of the line, you know, kill you 100 yards, bench press like an entire truck kind of thing. You get my point. And there are two action scenes I'm going to mention in this show. One of which is the Major, like, being attacked by this, like, bipedal mecha, an exosuit of sorts. And it grabs her and then tries to crush her head in a similar way as the spider tank does in the actual film. Mm-hmm. And the other scene is one where Togusa is attempting to get this file of, like, you know, uh, vaccine uh, recipients. I'll not bore you with the context necessarily. But this group of paramilitaries led by a cyborg attack the office of the uh, non-profit organization he's visiting. And he has to fight them off and he gets severely injured in doing so. In fact, he's shot. He's dying. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know if this was the intent or if they realized this, but I was much more like feeling, I had much more of a sense of tension with Togus's action scene than the mages. Even though the mages is the much more like, you know, like cool quote unquote or sci-fi one, as opposed to Togus just being caught in a gunfight and being bad. Because I felt like he had a sense of vulnerability to him because he's just a regular dude. And the thing is, maybe you could make the point that that is the point, you know, in Ghost in the Shell, that, hey, maybe we don't feel so strongly about those who are cyborgs because they aren't quite as vulnerable as the rest of us meatbags. But in terms of, like, how I felt about the action scenes, like, one kind of washed over me, and the other, I was like, oh, I hope he gets out okay. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just saying, could, you've got to be careful how you construct those things. And again, could very well be the point. But that's why I found it interesting in the end that I liked Togusa and was more rooted for him more than the major in the end, even though she's the principal character. Oh, Togusa has to be there. Like, it would not be the same well, without... Well, the major said it herself in the actual film, over-specializing your breeding weakness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Like, that is literally her meta-commentary <laughs> on his existence in the actual <laughs> franchise, believe it mm-hmm. or not. Damn, there's a point for you. All right, so I suppose it's my talking point now. So this is going to be a confession of sorts, folks. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here's here's the thing, right? Now, I have gone on many, many rants over the years on Mori Desh Show about various bad shows and various things that I find distasteful, you know. I mean, we just literally did episode 11 of Kabuki Show Sherlock, the Transphobia Express. Great. So I obviously went pretty nuts at that. I've gone nuts at Frank's. I've gone nuts at Shield here. I've gone nuts at various things. But one thing that I think is important is a sense of perspective and a sense of, hey, I'm no better than anyone else. So, confession time. 
back after I finished university, I had already I was actually in the process of wanting to become a writer, and I had Which written for for you is high school age, just to be clear, right? Is in, for in America, like you were well, like eighteen years old. I was twenty one at the time I finished university. Oh, I thought, why am I? You're think well, college, college. You're think you're thinking college. college. Oh yes, yeah. okay. So college, high school, is, yes. high school, sixteen, college uh-huh. to. 18 got it. and then okay. university 18 20 ignore everything I just unless said. you do extended study of course <laughs> okay so i finished university age of 21 i had already written a book during my time at university which is available on amazon i will not show you where it is because it's bad and i don't want people paying money for it i'd rather you pay money for the podcast which you're doing because you're a patron so thank you uh anyway i had then come up with this idea of writing a series of sci-fi novels of a couple of different characters who were all going through their own plot lines uh, in aid of leading up to a big final novel where they have to fight off this great existential threat to the universe. Uh, I was kind of inspired by the Marvel Cinematic Universe idea, so of course you have these six individual characters, six individual books, the final one brings them all together and they work together. Call it my version of the Avengers, whatever you want. (laughs) None of this is good, by the way, I should stress. (laughs) So I finished the first book and then it died in a pendrive accident, which is unfortunate, never mind. Um... And I got a part way through writing the next one, which I realized about two thirds of the way through writing was actually basically Altered Carbon, uh, which I had not read at the time, the book by Richard Morgan, uh, in which you could slip in our bodies. And I actually included a group of people who were trans in that, who were fighting for trans rights in that. Um, This, I should stress, was, as I say, when I was around 21, 22. And I'm nowhere near as educated as I am now, and even then I am still naive and ignorant in many ways. So I look back now on writing that book, and the protagonist was not a trans person. He was an agent who similarly had to slip in and out of different bodies to do various different things. And he had a wife who herself was like gradually leaning towards becoming a man more and more, like she herself was doing that. So I approached that completely bullheadedly and without any sensitivity to the subject matter. When in reality, like the idea of like, hey, I've been married to this person who wants to change their gender uh, through this scientific mean, uh, sci-fi mean even, like that in of itself is a story far more interesting, uh, far more worth telling than, you know, whatever like, you know, grand like conspiracy, like end of the universe shit I was otherwise conjuring up in my brain. But I only did all of that as I I would insist, uh, you're of course free to disagree and I'll not argue against it, because I thought I was trying to do positive, you know, representation of those groups, given the subject matter I was covering and the linchpin of the whole society. And then I had planned another book later on. And this is me even being even more naive. I was going to write this book uh, where the lead protagonist was going to be of Middle Eastern ethnicity. Uh, and he would uh, be the leader of, like, this guild who was trying to... Um, conquer in some sense or another or at least you know take control of these various like you know outer regional provinces of this galaxy or whatever this was in again this is all bad so believe me i know firsthand i'd be the first to tell you this is all shit and this is why i never wrote any of it um and i had the plot mapped out in such a way that when he got to the final like there were like three different people he had to get rid of the last one of which was like a female counterpart to him who they kind of like came to a stalemate of and he had to then make an awful decision, which was that he would cross a line in obliterating the homeworld she lived on in order to force her hand. And if you think about it like that, and this is especially true given recent events, like bear in mind the ethnicity I brought up of this particular character, that doesn't read very well, does it? The optics of that are pretty bad. You were in your 
early 20s. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I brought, I had that ethnicity in mind because I thought, well, I've got the cast of, like, the big group here. I've got some ladies, I've got some guys, but I don't have anyone who is black or otherwise not Caucasian. So to me, like, that seemed like a good idea. So what's the lesson from all this, apart from the fact that I am a complete hypocrite about everything I've ever criticised on the podcast? Oh, it's plea. No more so than anyone else. I think the point I'm trying to make here is that for all the things I was trying to write into these particular novels, or at least had ideas of, they were created through hubris. I had the best of intentions, but I didn't realise, because of my own ignorance, that they were, you know, not for the best to be included or done, Period. Or rather, they should have been done very, very differently. So I think it's just worth remembering wherever you're involved in the creation of something, that it's even if you think you're doing the right thing, it can be very worthwhile to just take a step back and just re-examine what you've done. And I did hmm. in the end, to my credit, I will give myself that much, that I didn't end up, you know, writing, say, the last that last novel I mentioned or finishing the other one. Even today, like with the knowledge I've gained and all the media I've consumed since that's led to me having a more rich understanding of the world and, and people in general, I probably still wouldn't feel confident in writing those. Or if I were to do them, I would do them very differently. So that's my confession, but also kind of like my warning of, you know, even when you're writing stuff, sometimes you're not necessarily writing like awful shit like Insane Shield Hero because you're a bastard, although that certainly applies to the Shield Hero offer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you can have me on record for that one. But rather because you have a good heart, but you just can't execute on it properly. Yeah, I mean, that's a... That is a real thing, and I think why... um, Oh gosh, I don't want to turn this into a whole giant thing. But just generally speaking, like, I, I think that there are way, way, way more people like you and me who were raised in a very heteronormative way not educated about other perspectives and you know early in their in their young adult lives like fuck up because they don't know any better and Mm -hmm. really kind of just need some guidance and not they don't need to be shouted down or shut down or publicly humiliated um, they just need some some time and some education uh and that will will serve them and in turn you know society at large better um and i think that is something that uh, everyone like to do well to keep in mind and mm-hmm. um and I'm just, I'm glad that we, that you and I both got that and that we are where we are. And uh, not that we're like some, like, not that we're the finished product of anything or, or we're authority. I know, I've still got to restore all my hair. Like, the, the Just Men shipment <laughs> is coming tomorrow. It's coming by the gallon. The entire bathtub of the stuff, mate, honestly. No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, I will say just, this, though. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go on. No, no, I forget it. It's, um, please go ahead. I will say this, though. Um, having recently watched Aizuken for the first time, well, obviously the first time, uh, I, for a while, have been kind of bummed out on doing any more writing, to be honest, for a variety of reasons, but I really do want to get back into it now Ooh, because wow. of watching that show and just being reminded 
Uh, spoilers for I'm going to talk about Aizuka tomorrow, of yeah. the sheer joy of the creative process. Um, whether or not that will actually come to fruition, I cannot say at this point, but man, I would definitely like to get back to it. Just far less ignorant than I was when I was younger, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's so true. It's true. Um, I, hey, Fire Emblem remains good. Nice. Don't want to. I think we probably reached a good stopping point, but look, I'm 40 hours into this video game. I, I knew Monica was a bitch from the jump, and she proved herself to be Edelgard. <laughs> There's something going on, and I'm not. I'm getting increasingly worried. And uh, Bernadetta, still great. Caspar, super great. Lindhart, surprisingly great. Everyone's great. I, I will say maybe, maybe I'll expound on this in a future episode, but I am sad that I did not that, that I'm playing the game on normal difficulty. I think uh, I made a mistake there. Um, I, I think that game should be harder, but I'll talk about that later on. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we are, we're going to call this a wrap on after hours for January 7, 2020. Mm-hmm. Shadon, uh, where can people find you on Twitter? Where can the good, good patrons of the world get a hold of you uh, you can get me on Twitter at shade and Sensen. you can ama me wcf me lol me i don't care it's all good uh big same uh except for at the subtle doctor on twitter and oh, i thought you were gonna say that you can't lol me <laughs> oh no you can definitely lol me please <laughs> um, lots of love um yep so uh, that, that's been uh, it for this edition of After Hours. And uh, we thank you all for, for hanging out and, and joining us. And uh, if you're listening to this on 1-7, we'll see you tomorrow for Azerkin and later in the week for Vinland. And we will catch you then. But for now, we will say embrace each other, everyone, to the end of the universe. Good night. Good night.